This call may be recorded or transcribed. Quinn, enough. Hello? Hello, Robbie. How are you doing? Testing one, two, three. Okay, now I think I'm on. Can you hear me? Yeah, very distorted with a lot of background noise or wind noise or something. relationships. 
or not. identity that only can be healed by the cross of Christ. It's not simply a matter of information or technique. It's something fundamental that makes us ourselves in counterproductive ways. Is that a useful definition? Justified. 
the 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 I'm not sure uh, the source of the anger, but the trigger would be the wrong expectation or image of you know what marital harmony looks like, maybe or mm-hmm. look like. healthy that can lead to codependency and you know defining our reality person's emotions which is probably not the healthiest response placating and so, yeah yeah right so then the question is okay well what is how do we know that we have reached the ground truth where we're actually operating on the basis of something real rather than just wishful thinking and conditioning uh-huh. And that is a question I often ponder. And so my... Say the sorry, question again. Just say the question again. It broke up a little bit. Sure. How do I know that I'm responding on a productive as opposed to merely reacting to perspective, wishful thinking, um, or conditioning? Social conditioning. Uh-huh. Again, it cut out a little bit. So, how do I know I'm responding to? Let's try one last one more time. How do I know I'm responding to what? To reality? To, to a productive level of reality rather okay. than an unhelpful illusion. Okay, right. How do I know? Yeah, because I, yeah, how do I know? Can I, can I ever know that? Right. And so, we talked about this years ago, I don't know if you really really discussed it much, but this was the fundamental insight that led me to start the whole Discipling by Jesus practice. And the, the creed there is that the only real answer is Jesus. The right. only real problem is sin. The uh, only real work is the cross. In the end, we only have him. Yeah. And so, I said, it's a great. I can't prove this. This is just what I am betting my life on, is that the ground truth must always come down to Jesus. Right. 
And so, you know, this, this question of, uh, you know, uh, um, why did Christ die? You know, because there's many things that Jesus taught us. There's many miracles that he did. There are many things that are recorded in the book and many theological explanations that have been written. And all of that, you know, doesn't necessarily or even obviously require Christ to die. And yet, okay. this is a scandalous thing that he did uh, uh-huh. and asked us to remember in the, the communion and the breaking of the bread and the wine. So it's like, okay, the safest assumption I can make if I believe that Jesus is what he was doing is that there's something foundational in the death of Jesus and in his cross that we desperately needed that could not have been accomplished any other way. So that's where I sort of start. And then the, the framing is that, okay, some things are matters of technique that I can practice. Some things are matters of information that I can learn. And those are the easy things that require my deliberate effort to acquire the knowledge or the skills necessary. And those things depend upon me. And, and, more, and more precisely, they actually depend on my willpower and ego to seek these things out and acquire them. And they make me stronger. The more skills I have, the more accurate information I have, I become more. And, and there are a set of things that are definitely in that category. But there's another category of things which is um, different, which is precisely this category of things where it's not so much what I have to learn, but what I have to unlearn. Uh-huh. Not so much what I have to do, but what I have to um, defer and submit uh-huh. to. And right. that category of things is about um, sort of shrinking myself rather than growing myself. And those things are things that feel like dying or feel like being controlled or disempowered. And therefore, my psyche tends to violently fight against them at a deep subconscious level and occasionally at a very aggressive conscious level. Um, And for good reason. Right. Yeah. Most of the time, under most circumstances, you know, if you go without food, you die. If you let people take advantage of you, you lose access to your resources and are unable to take care of those you love. So our flesh rightfully resists those things. But these are precisely the things that Christ gave his most scandalous and uh, dogmatic uh, commands about. Uh-huh. About laying down your life, taking up your cross, becoming a servant. And so my thesis is basically that if there's something that um, is not readily amenable, like I cannot quickly solve it by finding a technique to practice or an information to learn, 
And in particular, it's something that I find deeply repugnant. Like, it's offensive that this person acts this way. Um, you know? Like, this is most likely an area where my brokenness is keeping me from seeing Jesus. And therefore, and where this other person and their brokenness is keeping them from experiencing Jesus. And this is the place where I have to go to the cross, where, you know, this three-letter word sin seems applicable. And if I can discover how Christ wants to heal me, so I can become an agent of healing other people, I will probably make more rapid, maybe not rapid, more fruitful progress with fewer regrets than if I treat this as being in the first category of information or skills. So that's why I find brokenness very fruitful as a framework for understanding this kind of relational breakdown and relational conflict. Okay. I'm not sure I catch it yet, but I, I think I'm following your uh, your reasoning. Um, bringing it down to a practical level. Some thoughts just run through uh, as I've been driving home today. There have been various points at which um, I working with Wes on what he wanted to do. My son was driving with me. I, uh, we had additions to the trip that delayed our return home. And in the past, I think uh, even from early in our marriage, I would have just gone ahead with what seemed good and not heard the check. Um, and then been irritated that she was irritated. Um, and, and today it occurred to me as I'm doing, as I'm making these plans, oh, I should check with Jackie and let her know and see if she wants to give me input on that. And in both cases, she said, oh, just go ahead and you know, do what you're thinking about doing. So it didn't actually restrain what I did, but it feels like I'm relating to her in a healthier way. And, uh, does this relate to what you're talking about? Well, I don't know. I, I, I literally don't know, right? I can tell you what I have observed, and I can tell you what I, uh, uh, what I believe, but I cannot give you any guarantees of accuracy or correctness. Right, sure. Right? So what do we... Yeah. Oh, you're going to say, well, go ahead. If it will be helpful to you, I'm happy to share how I perceive things. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Right. What I perceive, uh, what I think your wife wants most, is an authentic, healthy, emotional connection to you. And what I perceive is that when there is conflict with your wife, you retreat into an emotionally distant analytical mode to try to fix it. I am guilty of this as well. Yeah. When the best response 
is fundamentally counterproductive. Right. So, uh, a question that rises for me is, is that, uh, uh, yeah, well, so related to Brogan's question is, what is the, um, how do I address brokenness? So if it's brokenness, I mean, if it's a, if, it, if awareness of the dynamic you just described uh, leads me into change behavior, is that the, is that an appropriate risk, uh, uh, correction of brokenness? Or do I need to be resting in Jesus more and more conscious of not trying to fix it, but letting him uh, do what he needs to do in some underlying brokenness in me? That's where I get uh, unclear about how brokenness fits into Right. So this is a conversation that you and I have had multiple times, and I do not know if there is a verbal explanation that will make this any more productive than the previous one, right? Right, so let me give you a a metaphor. Um, So I did a workout a couple of days ago that was a little bit beyond my flexibility and strength level. And so for the next couple of days, uh, and probably a little bit now, because I'm old, um, if I try to stretch my leg a certain way, it hurts. And as long as I walk normally and carefully, it's not a big deal. But when I try to stretch it beyond that way, uh, it hurts. And for the first days, I would limp because I would just subconsciously stop moving in a certain direction because it hurt when I did that because there was a limitedness there, right? And so the idea of woundedness is that the things that we, and the, the best solution I've heard, uh, I'm not an expert on this there, is to very carefully and deliberately stretch the muscle that was injured. So right. that it releases the lactic acid and restores itself to normal function. And so uh, as a metaphor of that, it's like, okay, there's a thing that you, your brain subconsciously refuses to believe and your will refuses to do, which is probably the thing that would maximally benefit you if you could do it. Like that is the human curse without Christ, is the things that would make us actually free are the hardest things for us to wrap our minds around. That's the paradox. And so this is the the question I've been grappling with is, okay, how do I learn to see the things that I do not that I've trained, my, I've been trained not to see, and how do I help other people do the things that they uh, have the deepest homeostatic aversions to doing? And the best answer I have for that is is creating contexts where people can see Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and so one thing I thought about actually, this is not a bad. Uh, segue into the woman at the well, which I thought about doing with our two friends as uh-huh. a you know Saturday morning devotional, and maybe okay. I can just ping them and see if either of them are available. Uh, since I think you you said you were going to be traveling. Is your traveling done? Do you have any Saturday yeah. free in the near future? Right, this is the end of the scheduled travel. My return today. Oh. Okay. 
Good. So I can, uh, I think that that would be, like I said, I think that, so, you know, to answer your question more directly, like there's a way of encountering Jesus and seeing sort of the crucified Christ. And I don't, it is literally beyond my ability to put into words because I don't want yeah. to anchor it on for people who haven't seen it. I can sometimes, the best I can do is like we have an encounter. I say there, that, that thing that I just did or that thing that you just did, that's what I mean. And, right. you know, it kind of go from there. And, uh-huh. you know, some, and then, and, and, um, so one sign of it that I have found that is a useful after the fact marker, I don't know how useful it is ahead of the time, is uh, this idea of being vulnerable without being needy. Without being what? Right. Not being, being needy. Needy, right. Okay, we talked about that before. And, and to feel, there's this. Uh, right, this is, there's this place when there's something I've been holding on to, which is uh, the thing that divides me from other people. It is usually my sense that what they are doing is wrong, with the implication that because I'm not doing it, I'm right. And uh, that at various levels, mostly subconscious, occasionally bubbling up into my conscious, and even more rarely bubbling up into my self-awareness that I'm doing it. Uh, it's these things that I'm holding on to that seem obvious and true and right and good and fundamental to my identity. And yet this acts as a barrier and a dividing line between me and other people. And when I can surrender that to, as we talked before, surrendering these things to Christ for the sake of other people, rather than surrendering them to other people for the sake of Christ. Because like, oh, I got to be a good Christian. I have to pretend to act this way for them to make them happy. That always ends bad eventually. There's this totally different thing of like, okay, I see how this thing is dividing me from them. And frankly, I don't think they deserve it. I think they really are wrong. And I really am right. But... I can also see how this is dividing me from experiencing the fullness of Christ and demonstrating his sacrificial love in the world. And so restoring that relationship, um, you know, uh, to, to, to help them and myself, I need to surrender this to Jesus. And there's a, a qualitative difference in what it feels like to surrender something precious to Jesus versus surrendering it to other people. That it, it, it is still exquisitely uncomfortable and painful, but I guess it's like the pain of childbirth in that it's excruciating, but it's also cathartic and fulfilling because I see it's part of something greater is that I, I'm after losing myself to find myself in something greater. Uh-huh. And when that happens, I can be gracious in circumstances that previously I was either defensive toward other, toward other people or self-disgusted with myself for my cowardice. Okay. So those are some clues and hints. I don't know if that's useful or not, but I wanted to get that on the record. 
one phrase that comes to mind is the mutual submission that Paul writes about and the idea of leading in that um, as a way of thinking about this modeling um, the self-sacrifice as a, an invitation uh, again Right, so what right. I found is that the thing I aspire for 
there's almost a perverse joy. I mean, it really annoyed me the first few times, but I'm learning to look forward to it. Where, like, I go through this situation where I feel like I've been deeply wrong. I adopt a posture of humility. I try to model Christ. And at the end of it, they're like, yes, Ernie, you are completely wrong. I'm so glad you realized that. Thank you. And I'm like, no, I've got to just go on there. Right? And I'm trying to realize that that is exactly what it felt like to be Christ on the cross. I am being crucified for the other person's sin. And getting to the place, we talked about this idea of ecstatic union versus just resting in peace with Jesus. And to me, that is the highest joy, is to be misunderstood, misrepresented, um, and misconstrued like Jesus, not because I'm trying to do the right thing of, like, stand for the truth and speak against power and stand on my own righteousness, but literally confronting the depths of my own sin and brokenness and weakness and depravity and letting people not just see it, but rub my nose in it. Like, that that utter depth of personal humiliation, when it's done out of love for Jesus, becomes this extraordinarily beautiful joy that I cannot easily articulate. Uh, And it's like, okay, God, and and, and to the point where I'm almost disappointed, not quite, but almost disappointed when I gain earthly favor because of it. Because of this ecstatic union with Christ in his humiliation and suffering is such a sweet, precious thing. It's excruciating, but it's so sweet and precious that I'm almost but not quite sad when it's replaced by earthly validation. So do you find yourself experiencing this joy that you described? Or is this a theological This is an experience that I've had multiple times over the last several years. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, starting in 2000 and... Uh, the first time I, I consciously remember it and well enough to put a name to it was when I had a conflict with a former pastor where he basically like you know humiliated me in front of you know the entire uh, uh, leadership of the church and then when I went to talk to him about it like we had this conversation and it's like okay I, I didn't defend myself I just confessed my sin and humbled myself and it seemed like it right. was you know, totally counterproductive and fruitless, and I was really frustrated and angry at God about this. And then two months later, um, we were having lunch, I think, at the same restaurant, and he talked about how God had, had put him in this really impossible situation professionally where he had to deal with all this brokenness in people around him. Um, and like all the things that had frustrated me, like God was both uh, far kinder and far harsher towards him than I could have imagined. Uh-huh. And, and, and so, yeah, so this happens periodically. 
I don't want to say necessarily consistently, but there's mild versions that I do daily in my quiet time. Usually fairly significant points where there is a sense of confronting a part of myself that I've been holding on to as part of my identity. And then when I surrender it, I experience this cathartic release of connecting with Jesus. And I see myself differently. And things that, you know, as you probably know, there are a lot of things that bother me about this world and other people and the things around and all the brokenness and corruption and evil and dysfunction and just plain pig-headed stupidity all around me. Like, I'm very aware of these things and often react in lots of counterproductive ways. And what's worse, I often have thought patterns that reinforce those counterproductive behaviors. And, you know, little by little, you know, I have these moments of being able to step outside myself and release these things to Jesus that is, you know, I can't say I'm necessarily terribly good at any of these things, but circumstances that previously caused me to react with anger or dismay or judgment or frustration, I now can react with sadness, like I see the person not in terms of the evil they have done me, but in terms of the evil they're doing to themselves by not seeing Jesus. And rather than feeling frustrated and powerless um, and wanting to distance myself from them, I can feel this compassion. It's like, oh, if only you could know how much Jesus loved you and how much he was with you in this thing that you are fighting so hard against. You know, my heart aches for you rather than resenting them, which is my natural reaction. Like, that's how I see and feel Jesus. Uh, and I feel this painful joy in things that most people once feel either righteous anger or uh, uh, disempowering despair. Yeah. It, uh, it feels ironic to me that we start off with uh, brokenness, my brokenness being retreating into rational thinking and analysis um, to deal with these situations. And it feels like that's what all we're doing is the rational analysis um, kind of thing. I, I have this underlying feeling that, well, in, in movements, they say uh, humans are hot, not hot. That is, you have to get in and experience and learn at a, maybe say, a muscle memory level rather than just studying principles and trying to apply them. Yeah, and that's why I say we need to do it. But since you asked, right. I figured I would give you the answer. And sometimes, you know, when you are trying to design experiences, having some language around it before or afterward can be useful. But I really admit the words are mostly useless. Yeah, but I, I do think this is helpful. And I uh, appreciate your patience over the years with me and trying to help me. Uh, even through rational rational process. That's where I most of it. Um, I, yeah, uh, I was thinking today how disconnected my wife's uh, assessment of what 
going on in my heart are from what I perceive to be going on in my heart. Yeah, that's, I think, uh, been a source of this anger or a trigger uh, for this anger is feeling misunderstood and given me a new framework for thinking about how to relate to being misjudged, misunderstood, you know, wrongly Thank you. I hope that was at least expanding the space of possible thoughts, and then hopefully we will find a chance to practice the constructive actions to try to fill in some of those gaps that are being carved out. Well, I'm returning home to an opportunity to practice some of these things, so uh, we'll see how that unfolds as well. But yeah, I look forward to whatever whenever we get the time to connect. I'm probably free right. after seven in the morning. Okay, so I will see you Saturday or the next Saturday and see what we can uh, make happen. All right. I gotta run to keep my dogs under control. God bless you, Robbie. Right. Thanks for talking. Thank you.